Well, thank you for that warm welcome we've experienced thus far and uh, that commissioning prayer this morning. We're grateful for that, Suzanne and I both. And it's uh, wonderful to be back at to Calvary. For those of you who may not remember or have been newer to the church, I was here several times in 2016 and 17, working with your leadership at that time and with Nathaniel, your pastor, who we talked together about um, helping the church discover God's fresh vision for the church through a process we call Refresh the Vision. And I was pastoring a church in Germany, uh, also a church that's part of the IBC, the International Baptist Convention that Calvary's a part of. So it's nice to come back and see some familiar faces. It was uh, nice this morning to see Bill and Mary and to know that Bill's on his way back to uh, 100% health, we trust and hope. And I know I miss uh, seeing Nathaniel. He became a good friend of mine over the years when I was pastoring in Germany and we would gather together and see one another at various IBC functions and so forth. So we are thankful to be here. We look forward to being with you for the next six months as God directs, and we trust it'll be a, a fruitful time for the church, for us, for the deacons and the leadership. And I know that this is a season of transition for you as a church family. It's difficult to say goodbye to a pastor that you've loved worked alongside, ministered together, and shared a, a lot of experiences with. And so we understand this time, and uh, we trust that we can be a part of that process of transition, uh, a time of, it's important to grieve the loss of a friendship and a shepherd like that. We look forward to being part of that with you and seeing what God has in store for you. And we also look forward to getting to know you. I know we're only here six months, and sometimes you think, okay, why bother? Six months, they'll be gone, and, but I hope that we'll have an opportunity, even if it's to sit down and have a cup of coffee together or a meal together or go for a bike ride together or whatever kinds of things that you enjoy doing or if there's a special place that you say, oh, you must see this in San Paulo or in this, this state and invite us to go. We would love to do that. We want to get to know you as we can in these six months, as many of you as we can, and so that we can entrust you to the Lord when we finally do depart. We I love being in Brazil. We first came to Brazil, I won't remember the year, 10, 12 years ago, on some mission trips from our church in Colorado. We were in, doing some medical mission work in Manaus on the Amazon there and first came to love the Brazilian culture and people in the north, and we've been looking, for, looking forward to coming back. So thank you for your warm welcome for the uh, beautiful neighborhood you have provided an apartment for us in, uh, for the cozy setup of the apartment. Many of you have participated in that. Uh, we are well taken care of and have enjoyed already exploring our neighborhood and the city and look forward to that even further. I uh, I'm always, we love the, the time we, we've just come out of. My wife and I spend a lot of time in front of our television during the Olympics. And we watched a lot of the events of the Olympics. I'm sure you did as well. It's only a month away. And uh, I love watching the different competitions, particularly sports that we don't often see or participate in. And along with that, I, I love the story of certain Olympians, the athletes. Their story, particularly those who excel in their sport, but came through times of great struggle or trial uh, to get there. In, uh, those who overcame sometimes insurmountable odds. 
to be where they are. And so I did some research, and I read those stories of some of the American athletes, Olympic athletes, but I thought I want to read about some of the Brazilian Olympic athletes. And I came across one particularly that caught my attention. Although he was not an athlete who performed in the 2020 Olympics, but he was quite a Brazilian hero in the 2016 Olympics. His name, maybe you'll recognize, is Sergio Santos, one of the great volleyballers. In fact, one of the all-time great volleyballers in, uh, in Brazil. He was one who has won, been a medalist in every tournament he played in in the 2000s before his retirement. But it was particularly his performance in the 2016 games that caught my attention. Of course, those were here in Rio, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. You were the host country for that. He did not perform in the 2020 Olympics. He retired. But during the 2016 Olympics, it made him a volleyball legend here in Brazil particularly. If you follow the sport, you'll definitely know his story, I'm sure. You know, in the semifinal game in the 2016 Olympics, Brazil was losing to France. And so Sergio Santos, I guess better known as Seguino, close, Seguino, gathered the team together at one of the breaks, one of the timeouts. And he said, listen, I know you'll have other Olympics when you can win the medal. But he said, this is my last Olympics. I will not be playing again here. And I don't want to go home without the gold medal. And they rallied the team together. They were losing to France in that semifinal game. They rallied, they beat France. And then they were to play the powerhouse Italy team for the gold medal. And Brazil rose to the occasion. And they won the gold medal in indoor volleyball by beating the great team of Italy. And they brought home the gold medal. And Sergino, he was acclaimed the king of all volleyballers by his cheering fans. He became a legend in the sport in this country. But I think what makes him his story even greater and attracts my attention to it are the obstacles that he overcame in his life to get to that place. Maybe you know his story. I was intrigued by it. I discovered that he was born in one of the favelas just outside of Sao Paulo. A poor boy, largely uneducated, forgotten, without opportunity in life. Nothing in his life and his surroundings, his circumstances, would ever indicate that he might become a notable figure in any place, in any way. Who would ever want him on their volleyball team? Untrained unskilled, poor, uneducated. And yet with every obstacle in his way, he tells his own story, how he said he decided he was going to take charge of his life. Regardless of all the obstacles, he wanted to make something of life, whatever he had. And so he capitalized on that, on his natural athletic skills, every opportunity that came his way. He made opportunities and he, to become one of Brazil, Brazil's greatest volleyballers ever of all time. I love that story because I love the spirit and the attitude of that kind of person who says, regardless of my circumstances, I want to see something come of my life. I want my life to make a difference. And I begin with that story 
One, because I'm here in Brazil and I enjoy the story of a famous Brazilian. But that's the attitude I also find in the New Testament. In fact, throughout the Bible. But I find it particularly in a book in the New Testament that I want us to be considering over the next several weeks. It's the book in the New Testament called Philippians. I'm sure you're familiar with it, many of you, if you know your Bibles. And as you'll see as we discover this book of Philippians, we're going to spend a few weeks there. It exudes this can-do attitude of life, of an, a champion like Sergio. In spite of life's setbacks, life's obstacles and challenges, we can make something of our lives. And we can see God make something of our lives and the opportunities. And that's why I've chosen a title for this series. I've called it Unchained Living. You'll see the connection where that comes from in just a few minutes as we proceed. And let me tell you something. If you're, if you're new here at Calvary, like we are, maybe you're wondering, okay, what is this time to open a Bible? If you brought your Bible, I hope you'll feel free to open it in whatever means you brought it, whether it's a digital version or a physical version. If you don't have a Bible, we have some English Bibles we'd love to give you. Pick one of ours up and take it with you and make use of it and follow us along in this book of Philippians. But what we do on Sunday mornings, and I know this because I've been watching the online services over the last number of weeks, and I know your former pastor, Nathaniel, this is what he did and was so gifted in doing, is opening the Bible and looking at it, reading it, helping us understand it, and then applying it to our lives. It's one of the things we, we do at Calvary. We'll continue to do that because we believe the Bible is God's truth for life. Life goes best when we live it according to God's word, the Bible. That doesn't mean your life will be perfect. It won't be, I promise you. But life goes best when we live it God's way because he designed us, he created us, he knows how life works best, and so that's why we look at the Bible to discover, God, where does my life need to go? How should I live if I want the best out of life? And so we open the Bible, we read it, we seek to understand it, and then we leave here to do it, to put it into practice. So that's something new to you. I, I hope you'll discover the, the great wisdom of doing that and the joy of seeing your life improve as you do life according to God's word. And I know I read it too. I read certain things and I think, man, I wish that wasn't there. <laughs> That's hard. Man, I wish I didn't have to do it that way. But we discover that's God's best for us. So we're on a journey together and to discover today and in these coming weeks, the truths that God has for us for our lives from this inspiring little book called Philippians. It's only four chapters long, but I think by the time we're finished, you'll say, that book has captured my heart. You can read uh, the background of the book. You can Google it this afternoon if you want to find out a little bit more. I won't take a lot of time to give you that background. I'll let you do some study on your own. But I'll give you a couple of facts that will help us set the stage and the setting for this book of Philippians. It's so named because it was written to a first-century church in the city of Philippi. If you lived in Philippi, you were called a Philippian. If you went to the church in Philippi, you were one of the Philippian followers of Jesus. And that's an ancient city in northern Greece, 
It's not there anymore. All that you find there from the, if you go uh, and look for that city, are the ancient ruins of, of a city, of Philippi. But this church in that city was founded by the Apostle Paul. He was a missionary, an early church missionary, one of the great leaders of the first century church. The Apostle Paul, in about A.D. 49, on his second missionary journey, he had three, and on his second one, he went to this city of Philippi. If you want to read the details of that time in Philippi, uh, I know you're you have just recently gone through a study of the book of Acts, as Nathaniel led you through that. Acts 16 will remind you of what took place in Philippi. I'll give you an overview of that. But when Paul went to Philippi, one of the first people he met was a businesswoman by the name of Lydia. She wasn't a follower of Jesus, but Paul engaged with her, and they got to know one another, and he shared some important information with her, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And she became the first follower of Jesus in the whole city of Philippi. And from her, eventually, it grew. The gospel continued to progress, and a church was formed in that city. And that became one of Paul's most beloved congregations of all of the churches he founded and was affiliated with. The church at Philippi had a special place in his heart. I suspect it's similar to your Pastor Nathaniel, who has left. He's young in his ministry and life, and wherever he goes as a pastor from this point on, I suspect that he will always look back, and there'll be something special in his heart when he hears of San Paulo, and he hears of Calvary, and he'll say, oh, such dear people. Though we've been separated by miles and by years, such dear people, they bring such joy every time I remember them. That's Paul and the Philippians. Paul traveled widely, but he always remembered his relationship with the Philippians. It's a special church. I pastored a church in Germany just the most recent five years before we retired a couple of years ago. And I remember telling our churches there and many of the European uh, Christian churches said, we exist because of the church in Philippi. They were the first church in Europe. Paul founded that church, and they were faithful to the gospel. And from that church, the gospel spread throughout Europe. And so we owe the churches in Europe a lot to that church. It was a special church to Paul. So the letter to the Philippians, also known as an epistle, was written by Paul about 10 years after he founded this church. It's all around A.D. 60, 62. But what's significant about this letter is that it was written to these Christians from a prison cell, Paul's prison cell. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Most likely, he was in prison several places. He kind of had a bad history of being in prison, but he was in prison probably in the city of Rome when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. And with this letter, he also wrote three others from that place, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, those four together are known as the prison epistles that Paul wrote from his prison cell there in Rome. Hence the name, the title of this series, Unchained Living. Paul could write these words that we're going to read while he was chained, but he wasn't chained in the way he lived and his outlook and his ministry mind, mindset. 
He's writing this letter from jail to these people he dearly loved. And one of the major themes of this letter is joy. Joy from a prison cell. Now, I've never been in prison, I confess. I probably should have been on a couple of occasions with things that I was doing I shouldn't have been doing. But if I had been in prison, I doubt that joy would have been one of the descriptive terms of my time in prison. And yet for Paul, we will see that in his own words in this little letter. In fact, if you read through the book of Philippians, and I hope you'll begin to do that over the coming weeks, take a chapter and, or read the whole thing at once, but pick pieces to get, put pieces together, and just note the number of times you see the word joy or a derivative of, the, of that word about rejoicing or joyful or joy. Some 14 times in these four chapters, Paul speaks of the joy of his life while he's chained but living unchained from that jail cell in Rome. And so when I read these verses and these words, I wonder, how can that be? How do you find joy in the Mamertine prison in Rome? Well, the answer is because Paul learned the secret to unchained living. He's going to tell us that secret. By the time we get to chapter 4, we'll know it. But we're going to just jump into it today to begin to discover how we too can live joyfully above the circumstances of our lives. Your life, you may say today, is right where Paul's was. You feel chained, chained to whatever it is. You may be chained to some addiction, chained in a relationship that's broken. You may be chained to some personal habit. You may be chained to a family that's dysfunctional. You may be chained to a job that you hate. You may be chained to unemployment. You may be chained to not enough money at the end of the month. But how do you live unchained, even when you're chained? Paul tells us to how to discover the joy of doing that in our lives. And so we begin at the beginning. It's a good place. Chapter 1 of Philippians. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me where whatever device you might have, or if you have your physical Bible, or I don't have it on the screen, we'll get that worked out for next week. Or look over the shoulder of the person in front of you, but, uh, or just listen, listen along as I read some of it. But in Philippians, a little letter toward about halfway through your New Testament, if you're not real familiar with it, feel free to look into the table of contents and you'll discover Philippians. Paul says this in chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the deacon, its overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's hold that for a moment, because if we ever wonder what are the elements that allowed Paul to find joy even in his life when he was chained in a prison cell, we see, see clear evidence of those in these opening verses of chapter 1. For he begins, he says, Paul and Timothy. He didn't have to mention Timothy. Paul wrote this letter, but Paul addresses and brings Timothy along in a complimentary way. He says, Paul and Timothy. He says, we are together servants of Christ Jesus. It evidences a, a special relationship that Paul had with Timothy. It was so important to him, he would include him in this letter. 
Now hang on to that for just a minute. I want to show you a related phrase as we move in, on in verse 3. He continues, he said, says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Very quickly, we see this pattern begin to emerge. It has to do with Paul's relationships, his friendships. Because first, Paul mentions Timothy, whom we know, from the, you may recall from the book of Acts, was one of Paul's closest colleagues, associates, one of his BFF, best friends forever type of guys, Paul and Timothy. Paul was Timothy's mentor. He trained him in ministry. They, they ministered together. Timothy succeeded Paul as a pastor at Ephesus, a great church. They had this connection together. They were bound to one another. Paul said, that just brings me such joy. I want to remember Timothy every opportunity I get. And then he expresses that same close relationship with the Philippians. Because he said in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. That word partnership is, is an interesting word. It comes from a common Greek word that I bet many of us are familiar with. The Greek word koinonia. Maybe you've been involved in a koinonia small group or a, a fellowship called koinonia. Koinonia simply means fellowship. But it has an even stronger sense in certain contexts, and this would be one of those, of sharing something deep in common. Not just having a cup of coffee together. Not just going on a walk or a bike ride or a hike together. But really getting into it together. Sharing life together. Sharing what's happening inside. Sharing our questions. Sharing our hurts, our losses, our brokenness, our joys, our victories, our hopes, our dreams. Paul says that's the kind of partnership we had, Philippians. That kind of koinonia. They didn't just share the faith or fellowship. They shared the ministry, the mission, Paul's vision for spreading the gospel. The Philippians shared that. That's why the gospel went throughout Europe from this little church. You see, the Philippians weren't just recipients of Paul's ministry. They were participants in Paul's ministry. In fact, in verse 7, he says, we shared God's grace together. The grace that makes it all possible. We shared that with one another. And that's exactly the picture you get from Acts 16, the description of Paul's ministry here in this city. You can read the details, but I'll give you a quick summary. Paul met this businesswoman named Lydia that I mentioned to you, and she and her family became followers of Jesus because Paul shared the gospel, the good news, with her. And then a couple of days later, Paul encountered this demon-possessed slave girl who was making all kinds of money for her slave owners. And she was delivered from the oppression of Satan. And she became a follower of Jesus. Of course, that angered her owners from whom she was, for whom she was making money. And they, in, a riot ensues. And Paul and Silas, who was with him at that time, they're beaten. They're thrown into jail in Philippi. 
Paul was getting accustomed to this jail life. And all the while they were there, Paul took the opportunity to share the gospel with one of the jailers. And that jailer became a follower of Jesus. And his family chose to follow Jesus when they heard the news. And then all, while all that is happening, one night the jail doors are blown open because there's an earthquake. And Paul and Silas are released from that prison. And they're escorted by the jailers back to Lydia and her family and to these fellow believers. I guess that's just a weekend in the life of a first century missionary, all of that. But you can see why Paul and these Philippians had their hearts bound together after all they'd been through. Lydia and her family, the jailer and his family, the slave girl and her colleagues and around her, and all the people that came to understand the truth of the gospel through them and became followers of Jesus. They were like a band of brothers together. Then they formed that church, and that church would be the catalyst for the gospel to go forth throughout, a, throughout Europe. What was the key to it? Paul would say, not him, not Silas, not Lydia. It was the gospel, the good news of God's grace. And if you're here and you wonder, well, what's the gospel? It sounds like a churchy word. The gospel is simply good news. And let me make it real clear. That's what the Bible's about. The Bible's a thick book, and you look at it and you say, I'll never get, get my head around that. Well, let me tell you what the message of the Bible is, plain and simple. It's the gospel. And the gospel, in just 30 seconds, so you can understand what the Bible's about, and then you can have an opportunity to understand the gospel, is simply that, that God created all it is, and God created human beings, and God loves his creation. And God loves people. He loves his creation. He loves humanity. It means he loves you and he loves me. And God created us to have a relationship with himself. That's powered by his love. But something happened to break that relationship. Our ancestors years ago, eons ago, decided we'd rather do life our way. We'd rather find our own way and our own path rather than God's way. And so disobedience, the Bible calls sin, lawlessness, doing life your, our way, entered in, and that broke our relationship with God. But God didn't give up. God said, I still love you. I still want a relationship with you. And so I will send my son, Jesus. Good news, Jesus is coming. Jesus came from heaven, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay our penalty, the debt we owed for our sin, for doing life our way. A debt we owed, but we couldn't pay. And Jesus said, I'll pay that. And God accepted that payment. We know that because Jesus was resurrected three days later. And the resurrection is God's stamp of approval. I accept your, that, uh, that um, gift that you've given to the people of forgiveness, of paying the penalty of their sin. And now the good news of the gospel, by God's grace, we can re-enter that relationship with him when we receive through faith Jesus as our Savior. And we entrust our life to him. And say, God, I want to do life your way. 
I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to receive Christ and his forgiveness of my sins. That's the gospel that changed Lydia, changed the jailer, changed the slave woman, changes our lives, and allows us to be God's family and his people once again. You know, when you walk with people in that good news, your hearts are bonded together. And that's how Paul's life had been changed. That's how the Philippians' lives had been changed. Because of that, that had left a mark on each of them because they participated in the gospel together. I know that's how many of you feel about your pastor Nathaniel who's left. You said, we had a partnership in the gospel. Maybe you first came to receive the gospel through, when his ministry, through his ministry. Maybe he sat down at coffee with you one day and on the back of a napkin, he scribbled out the gospel and said, this is how you can have a relationship with Jesus and become a follower. And you said, we are bound together because of our partnership in the gospel. And so I know how you feel the loss of your beloved pastor. And there's a time of grieving, a time of loss. And that's part of what these six months are that we have together to help our church, the church move through that season. Say, God, but you haven't forgotten us. You haven't left us because our dear pastor has moved on to a different ministry you've called him to. But you still have greater days ahead. Do you believe that? The best is yet to come for Calvary. That's always true when you follow Jesus. The best is never behind us. The best is always ahead of us still. It's no wonder that Paul had these people in his heart after all they've been through together. And whether it was ministering with them in Philippi or writing to them from a prison cell in Rome, that brought joy to Paul's life. Regardless of his circumstances, every remembrance of you, you gives me joy, he says. If nothing else, it shows us the value of relationships and friendships in the Christian life, doesn't it? Christian's life is designed to be lived in partnership. So we ask ourselves, who are my partners in the gospel? Who are the people you're sharing life with? Maybe in a Bible study group, maybe on a prayer team, maybe on a ministry team, perhaps in a mission group. Who are you cultivating relationships with? in the trenches of spiritual living, of life, and sharing what God's doing in your life and the challenges. Those will be the people who will bring joy to your life, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the chains that hold you, because you'll be living an unchained life because of those relationships. Suzanne and I experienced part of that just 10 days ago when we were pre final preparations to come here to Sao Paulo. We have some partners in the gospel. It's a group of guys, actually, that I am in a, a cycling club with. We ride together several times a week, and they said, you know, you're going to San Paulo. We want to gather together. We've shared life together. We've shared a lot of things together. We want to gather together and send you off with prayer and commissioning. And so they did that. They came to our house one evening, had a wonderful time of koinonia, fellowship, sharing together. And they prayed, and they said, we're going to continue to pray for you and Suzanne but we're going to be praying for Calvary as well. That's a great thing. I want you to know that you have a team of people in, in Colorado you've never met before that are praying for God's continued work here 
especially over these next six months. When you look back at your years here at Calvary, will there be partners in the gospel? Say, yeah, they bring great joy to my life because we shared so much together. That's what Paul experienced in his relationships and with his Philippian friends. But that's not the end. That's not where he leaves it. He doesn't just say it's just about all the good times we have together or the times we go through tough experiences with one another. Paul says, no, there's, there's another X factor that you have to bring in in order to have complete joy in our remembrance of one another. We see that in verse 6. One of my favorite verses in Philippians, he says, being confident of this one thing, confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Not only did Paul remember the Philippians with great joy, he also held on, not just to their relationship, but to God's plan for their lives, God's power in their lives. Paul said it doesn't just depend upon our great fellowship, because God is within you. He indwells you by the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, I have every confidence that God will complete his work in your life if you allow him to do that. Certainly Paul knew that being partners in the gospel was important, but he knew that the X factor was God's presence in our lives, his plan being worked out through his power within us through the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, that's what completes my joy in you, knowing that you're going to continue to progress. And I suspect that your dear pastor Nathaniel, as he leaves and he thinks back of you, says, you know, I'm confident that God's going to continue a good work at Calvary, that the best days are yet to come because God is at work to complete his plan for that church and for those people. You see, the Christian life is a spiritual life. It's a life that's empowered by God's work within us. As Jesus put it in John 3, he said, you must be born again, that the gospel must invade your life, and you must receive that. But you must be born again through the work of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we belong to God, and God indwells us through his Holy Spirit, and he works that out in our lives through the Spirit's presence and his power. And so his plan, his power, uh, that work with our, that they work together with our partnership to empower our progress in the gospel. You're going to continue to mature and to be like Christ because God is within you and because you have people around you who are partnering with you in that journey. And Paul puts those two elements together, our partnership in the gospel and God's power is that work within us. And then he expresses the fullness of his joy with those two thoughts in mind in his final prayer in this section for these people at Philippi. We see that in verse 9. He says, so this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Wow, that's a prayer. Makes my prayer for people sometimes look puny. Paul knew how to pray. If you want somebody to pray for you, we'd probably say, Paul, would you mind praying for me? That's a powerful prayer. That's how you pray for someone you've gone into battle with. That's how you pray for someone that you're fully confident that God's power is within them and his plan is being worked out through their lives. Because you know the truth that Paul's expressing to us here in these 11 verses. The joy comes from our partnerships in the gospel and the power of God in our lives. That's his message. He says, those two elements, our partnership in God's power, bring me great joy every time I think of you. Now, when I look back across the decades of my life and ministry, I see the truth of what an early mentor told me many years ago. He said, you know, you'll find, Gary, there's nothing better than the friends that you'll make serving Christ together. Boy, that's true. He's right. The people with with whom I've gone on mission trips or served on a church staff with or the lay leaders that have been elders or deacons in the churches where I've been or I've worked alongside of in some challenging ministry assignment or gathered together every week in a small group or a cycling club or shared the gospel with in, in where I worked and, or with friends, neighbors. Those are the relationships that bring me the greatest joy and satisfaction in life. The people I recount that bring a smile to my face, regardless of the circumstances of my life. You know, the last church where I pastored, I mentioned to you, was in Germany, a frontline community church, also an IBC church. But it was unlike uh, Calvary, though it's an international church, had a high percentage of military personnel in that region who attended the church. And I remember watching those relationships and seeing that many of them had served together on the battlefields of various parts of the world. And they enjoyed an intensity and a bonding of a relationship that was unlike anything I as a civilian could quite enter into because they had served together in the heat of battle. And what's true on the battlefield of soldiers is also true for followers of Jesus Christ in the service of the gospel. Those, you see, that you serve together with, you're a partner with in the gospel and the grace of God for the cause of Christ. You struggle together with them. You pray together with one another. You make shared sacrifices in the work of of the Lord. You go on mission trips and you sacrifice and share equally together. You form a unique bond because of the partnership you have in the gospel. A bond that brings joy to your heart every time you remember those people. You may have not seen them for years or maybe you never see them again. But when you remember them, you remember them with great joy. And it encouraged you to move forward and move on. And during this period of this season of a pastoral transition, I want to encourage you to remember that. Because I understand it's, it's easy to say, 
well, this new pastor is interim pastor. He's only here six months. Our, our beloved pastor Nathaniel is gone. I just need a break. I'm just going to back off and get a little distance. And you separate yourself from the partners in the gospel. I want to encourage you, resist that temptation. Rather than stepping back, step into relationships. Step into some new ministry opportunities. Step into some new leadership responsibilities. Step into some new relationships, maybe in a ministry team or a small group or someplace where you can serve together. To partner with what God has in his fresh vision for Calvary. Because I fully believe Calvary's best days are ahead, yet to come. It's best days of how to multiply and disciple and equip and send people into the kingdom of God's work as we partner together in the mission of making more disciples, more followers of Jesus Christ. So we experience together the power of God, his plan in and through our lives. As we bring together partnership and God's power and experience the joy that comes from that together. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this reminder from Paul to his dear friends in Philippi that likely many of them he never saw again, but he remembered them with great joy because of their partnership, because of the power of the gospel in their lives. Lord, I pray that in these coming weeks and months during this transition season, you'll draw us together in new, deeper ways than we ever realized possible than we'd ever experienced before, gathering around the mission and the vision that you have for our church as we move forward and make a, an even greater impact for the kingdom of God here in Sao Paulo, in this state, in this nation, and throughout the world, we pray. With great joy, we ask you to build us and bind us together and to empower us through the presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.